Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for real estate investors looking to protect their assets, save on taxes, and build their wealth with Clint Coons. Clint is an attorney, author, avid real estate investor, and featured instructor at Anderson's tax and asset protection events held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Hey, it's Clint Coons here. And in this segment, what I wanted to talk about was lending. Because we know how difficult it is many times when market or interest rates go up. And if you're an investor and you're struggling to try to figure out how to put that deal together and where that money is going to come from, well, that can be a problem hold us back with our real estate investing. So what I thought I would do with this episode is bring on someone who is an expert in their field that has been in the lending business and knows how to work with investors. So I reached out to someone who we actually use here at Anderson. We make them available. They're one of our uh, preferred providers when it comes to lending. And we recommend that our investor clients check out their products and work with them as far as putting their deals together. And that person that I'm bringing on right now is Rick Floyd, the executive vice president of Homebridge Financial Services. Rick, you here? Yeah, I am, Clint. It's uh, glad to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. You know, owning a, a lending company and starting all that up, it's got to be kind of interesting. So could you tell us a little bit of background on how you got to where you're at? Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Homebridge Financial Services today, uh, we're an independent mortgage lender. We employ about 2,400 uh, associates across the country. We actually formed Homebridge, call it back in 2009, right after the uh, real estate mortgage um, meltdown, because we felt like it was a golden opportunity to continue to fulfill the American dream. And um, so we put it together in 2009 and uh, been very fortunate to uh, to grow uh, to grow through the years. And so I've been in this mortgage space for about 29 years now. Great. So you have quite a bit of experience, which is phenomenal, because I'm going to be asking you some questions that I get all the time from my viewers and listeners about financing. It's, it's a really, I would say it's a hot topic because for many people, you don't have tons of cash, you're going to have to borrow money and setting yourself up the right way, knowing what you need to be doing before you go in to apply for that loan is so important. And also knowing the products, as you and I have discussed prior to uh, us coming on this episode. So just to start off, when it comes to lending, you know, if I was going to walk in, and I w I'm a real estate investor and I'm going through the traditional route. We'll talk about non-QM here in, in a little bit. Most loans, right, for real estate investors, they're going to be underwritten with Freddie Fannie guidelines. Is that pretty consistent? Yep, that is uh, that is correct, especially in, in the agency space. So it'll be your typical, you know, Fannie, Freddie, you know, uh, guidelines, unless it's, a, uh, unless it's in the jumbo, jumbo world which also those dollar amounts differ by state, you know, across the country. Okay. So if I came in and I, and I apply for that loan, one of the things that I, I tell people is that if you have existing rental properties, that depending on where they hit your tax return, Freddie Fannie will force you to hold back a certain amount of income. Yeah, obviously, you know, there, there's lots of different, um, you know, there's, you know, what's the right word I'm looking for, you know, court probably not the right word, but uh, different, you know, components of their guidelines. So if you currently have a portfolio of investment properties, 
you know, but obviously, hey, you're limited to the number that you can finance, as you and I talked about earlier. And mm -hmm. then, uh, but also there's different uh, caveats to how much income you can show, whether you're, you know, you're a W-2 or you're self-employed. So, but again, you know, it's just such a key to make sure to your point, you know, Clint, that, uh, that you know, that you got all your ducks lined up in a row and you clearly understand, you know, and, and if you're, no matter which lender you go to, you need to make sure you use somebody that, that clearly, you know, looks at your whole picture, uh, not what you're just trying to do now, but what you're looking to do in the future as well, so that those deals can be structured, not just for now, but, uh, you know, your goals and what you're looking to do down the road, where you're looking to sell some, buy more, uh, and so forth. But there's a, lots of different guidelines inside of the Fannie and Freddie, uh, Freddie world. Okay, so if I was going to come in and I was going to be using a traditional broker and go through that standard process where it's Freddie Fannie, what are some of the common mistakes that you see real estate investors make when they're applying for a loan? Probably some of the biggest mistakes would, would obviously you got to know you know how you're looking to structure it and what what terms you know you're basically looking for. But I would say some of the pitfalls to stay away from is to is to talk through with your lender, what you're looking to do first before you apply, right? And let he or she guide you, you know, as to, you know, not that you're not that you're not going to disclose everything and be forthright, you know, but they can talk you through to make sure that that's truly the, the route you need to go. Because, you know, in today's environment, you know, we had pre-COVID, then we had the, all the guidelines that were tight, tight, tight during COVID. And some of those still exist, even though a lot of them have been relinquished, especially in the self-employed arena. So it's just a key to make sure that you talk through. And again, I know I'm repeating that, you know, you know what's the route you want to go? Because the Fannie and Freddie and the agency route may not be the route that you want to go because there's plenty of other options uh, for you today. You know, but if you've got, you know, Cash on hand, you got good LTV, good FICO scores. Obviously, you know, your Fannie Freddie, you know, is, is, is the route to go if you meet all those components because your interest rates will be lower going that route. You know, they've also added, you know, this is more on the second home, which I know we're talking about investors here, but, you know, Fannie and Freddie have both added a lot of add-ons to the second home arena. Um, so you just got to be careful to watch, you know, make sure you ask your lender, you know, what are add-ons for the different types of um, investment properties and so forth. So when you're going into to or, or setting yourself up before you apply for a loan, how important on the investment side is seasoning of cash to buy or for that down payment for, for qualifying? Seasoning, Clint, is not as important as being able to validate where that cash came from, right? Okay. If it's like, if it's new cash, right? If it's been sitting in your accounts for a lengthy period of time, not an issue. But, um, but if you've just, you know, moved $100,000 into this bank account or that, you know, we have a lot of our clients that are looking to buy properties that are taking out HELOCs on their existing primary residence in order to help cash flow investment properties that they're buying as well. So it's not critical that it has to sit there for a period of time. You just have to be able to source it. You got to be able to source it. So showing them that where it came from is what's yeah, following one of our clients. We'll set up limited liability companies. They'll have an LLC and they'll park all their cash in. And that's what I do. And then 
when I want to buy a property, I'll distribute the cash, you know, transfer it from my LLC account into my personal account. And I've run into problems before with, with lenders where I hadn't anticipated finding this deal. And then they'll see that transfer of cash and they'll be like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? And they want to trace it all the way back up to the LLC. And if they see distributions coming into the LLC, they really start sniffing around and digging in my LLC going, well, where'd that money come from and that money? And I have to explain to them, well, those are other businesses that I hold and those are distributions. Right. You know, as you know, each lender can be a little different, right, in their interpretation of the of the rules that may not be just clearly, you know, black and white. I would just tell you at, uh, at Homebridge, just because we do a lot of variations of different type of businesses and deal with all types of walks of life. I can't say that issue wouldn't take place here, but as long as you can source it back, you know, we're not going to dig, you know, into things that just to create questions, just to be asking questions. Got it. Well, why does it seem like whenever you're using these traditional products, you know, the Fannie, Freddie stuff, why are there so many ho hoops that I have to jump through to, to get these loans through? Is that because you're selling them? Well, that's because, you know, most, most lenders sell the loans, right, to Fannie and Freddie mm -hmm. and or they put them into a security. So you've just got to make sure that, you know, we, we in our lending business sometimes think that the agencies have become the dotting the I's and crossing the T's are more important than the quality of the, uh, you know, of the, of, the, of the borrower. But then there's a difference as whether you service your loans like we do. You know, it's not to say that we want to make bad loans to put in our servicing portfolio, but maybe every single I doesn't have to be dotted and T crossed when a lender, you know, services and it creates their own portfolio of loans versus those that um, that sell, you know, direct to Fannie and Freddie. So is that a question that someone should ask then if they're going in to, uh, to work with someone? Are you going to, is this going to be a portfolio loan or you're yes, going to sell it? Absolutely. Great question. Great point that I should have brought up a while ago. That's a that's a great question to ask uh, to ask your lender. Yes. And if say for instance I came to you and I asked that question, you said, "Oh, we'll probably treat it as a portfolio loan." Would you then still use Freddie Fannie guidelines, or would you yes. be more open to? No, nope, we would still it? use Fannie Freddie guidelines. But again, okay. if there's minor T's and I's dotted and crossed, you know that's where that comes into play. But we would still follow the agency guidelines. You know, in case we decided to sell your loan at, you know, at some point in time. You know, okay. Uh, but it just gives you a little bit more flexibility, Clint, um, you know, from all the, uh, you know, from, from, from all the, the, the details that you, you know, don't necessarily have to follow. Got it. So what, you're, what, what I'm hearing then is that even though you may treat it as a portfolio loan, you still want to keep your options open that if you needed to sell that loan to Freddie or Fannie, it comports with their guidelines or underwriting guidelines, so they'll buy it. You won't have to separately negotiate it. That is correct. Absolutely. You, you, you hit the nail right on the head. But if, look, if you've got a solid borrower, lots of cash, low LTVs, it gives you some flexibility. Okay. All right. So I've often you know, told investors, hey, the Freddie Fannie route, I go, most people end up going that route because they don't know anything else or there's any other ways to put deals together. And as you and I were talking about beforehand, the non-qualified mortgage route is another door that someone could walk through. So could you explain what a non-qualified mortgage is? Yep, absolutely. Non-qualified mortgage is obviously, you know, it's not an agency loan. And right. And so we do, you know, the, the industry and at Homebridge, we do a lot of non-QM because a lot of it pits because, you know, they've got 
you know, you got a 12 month bank statement, you got a 24 month bank statement, you got investor cash flow. There's all types of loans. And basically these are loans that, you know, that don't meet the Fannie Freddie guidelines. You know, right. And investors have an appetite for them. Right. So if you're self-employed, you just got 12 months of bank statements. It's basically analyzing your cash flow. You know, you know, looking just from 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 your wherewithal to make the payments. Obviously, your credit's examined as well, but that's a huge space, especially in the investor community, because we do a lot of that investor cash flow. So, if you own ten properties, you know, instead of you know underwriting you, you know, and your tax returns and so forth, we're underwriting the cash flow of those uh, of those properties. So, I would highly recommend that any of your clients that or or either self-employed or you know have different structures a lot of k-1s or just different you know flows of cash in their in their businesses to definitely talk to their lenders about the non-qualified mortgage or also non as known as non-qm now your rates are going to be a little higher but that's just because to offset the risk of not underwriting you to a fine tooth comb so to speak so it's a great great product for uh, for your investors that are buying residential uh, residential properties. Okay, so let, let's break this down. So with the bank statements, what are you looking for there on the bank statements? Cash flow. Just another, just make sure that you've got enough cash flow to sustain your debt, right? So, you know, again, so it's a 12 month, 24 months, you know, so if you need 24 months to look at a bigger picture, you know, obviously you get a lower break if you go longer and you can prove that you've got the cash flow. So if you've got, $20,000 flowing in and out of your accounts each month, you can easily see that you've got the cash flow to make your payments, you know, on, uh, on your mortgage. And then the investor cash flow is obviously the properties. So if an investor had limited liability companies set up and, or land trusts, things, entities that we typically recommend and investors create for asset protection purposes, when you're looking at the bank account, You'll, would you just take the LLC's bank account and judge the cash flow if I can show you that I'm the owner of that LLC? Is that how that would work? Yes, sir. That, absolutely. LLCs are not a problem in the non-QM space. The LLC cash flows, limited liabilities. All right. And then the when you talk about the rental income, if you can show the income coming in, as we were talking about touching on the issues with the Freddie Fannie stuff where they have a holdback, you know, my understanding 25, some I've seen 30% as far as rents will not be applied for vacancy purposes. When you're going non-QM, do they do the same thing or do you get 100%? 100%. So on that investor cash flow, it's, it's 100%. Okay. So when we're doing that non-QM, then does it also allow me to close any uh, limited liability company? Yes, yes. On the non-QM side, you can close in a uh, in an LLC. That is correct. And with those non-QMs, do I have to give a personal guarantee, or are these asset-based loans? There are programs that, that are asset-based, uh, but these non-QMs are your personally uh, you're personally guaranteeing it, right? Because the property is your collateral, you're personally guaranteeing it as well. Now there are the asset, uh, you know, type type loans. We don't do many of those here at Homebridge, but they do exist in the uh, in the marketplace. Got it. Well, how important is my personal credit score then when I'm using a non-QM loan? Always, always. They will take a lower FICOs, but it but but the hits to your pricing are, are pretty dramatic. So the other thing too is, um, as you and I were discussing with Freddie Fannie, 
they allow each borrower to to acquire 10 properties. And so I see this a lot, a husband and wife, uh, they'll both go on a few of the loans together. And if they went on four loans and they realize when I start talking to them, hey, you just took four potential opportunities away from yourself if you're going to stick working with the Freddie Fannie market because each of you can only be on 10 loans total. Correct. Whereas with non-QM, is that even a consideration? No, sir. Not an issue. Yeah, those guidelines, that same 10 cap does not apply in the uh, in the non-QM space. Well, so in the non-QM space, then where the, where's the money coming from? You know, a lot of um, a lot of investors, you know, there, there, there's hedge funds that operate in the non-QM space. We at Homebridge, we pull seven different investors, you know, whether it's like Goldman Sachs or Starwood or a lot of them, we pull those together, created our guidelines that they would all buy. But then I'll see if there's exceptions to that. You know, we, we go to those guys for that. But uh, but it, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's investors' money, it's hedge fund monies just looking to get a return on their monies. Like Goldman Sachs is a big player. Angel Oak, you know, Starwood, just different investors. So can you give us an idea of what the terms, the typical terms are for, for a loan like this? Yeah, in today's environment, uh, Clint, you're in, the, uh, you're in the high sevens. Okay. You know, it depends. If you've got a low LTV and a high FICO score, you know, you're going, you're, you'll still be in the mid sixes. Mm-hmm. But again, if you've got, you know, if you're looking to finance at a high LTV or you got a lower under a 700 FICO score, it's really going to get bumped up into the uh, into the sevens. Most of the non-QM business in today's environment is in that is in that low seven to mid seven uh, range. But you know you're paying you know to to, uh, to have different options for your financing. Got it. So with the terms of the loan, is it any different than the Freddie Fannie? Are there prepayment penalty clauses in there? No. No, you still do 15, 20, 30. Yeah, there's no prepayment penalties. Um, you know, some investors will write it with a prepayment penalty, but we do not. Uh, but they're your 15, 20, 25, 30 year terms with no prepayment penalties on ours. You know, obviously, you know, some some lenders may offer. So typically, how much do I need down on an investment loan then for this type of product? If you want if you want the best rate and so forth, you're, you're probably needing at least 30 percent plus. 30 percent. Yeah. But if you don't have to, right? I mean, you could do it with as little as 10% down, but you're going to pay for the risk. Because, yeah, because the interest rate's going to go up based upon the risk the lender is taking on. And that is dependent upon you as the borrower and how much money you're bringing to the table, what your credit score is, things like that. That is correct. Yes, sir. So here's what I'm wondering. Let's assume that I bought a property on contract with a seller. Okay. So the seller is carrying the note. And the deal was, is that in three years, I would finance that seller out. So I come to you and I say, listen, I got this property. I bought it for 150. It's now worth 200. And all I need to do is cash out the seller who's carrying the note against the property. Would that qualify under a non-QM type deal transaction? So make sure I'm clear. So the seller is holding the note back. So you're buying it from, you're buying it from John Doe and John Doe is going to take back the more the, the lien he's going to be your lien holder correct and now you want to finance that property to pay off john doe yes 
It's a great question. I'm going to, uh, with my experience, Clint, I'm going to say yes, that would that we could qualify that under the non-QM space. And then that equity, so so there's you know equity in that property. Do I need to come up with anything in a situation like that? Or you, do they also count if if I've negotiated a price for a piece of property, a house, and there's built-in equity, what it appraises at? Let's say it appraises for 25% higher than the purchase price. Would that count then towards my my down or do they still look for it saying, hey, even though you got equity, it's great, but we still want to see 20% down to get those lower rates? That built-in equity there can be used for your down uh, your down payment. Great. So they could use that built-in equity because I know, you know, investors come have properties like that um, that they found. And if it's a cash flow issue, bring the property with the equity. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So HELOCs. Are you doing any on investment properties? No, we're doing it. We're doing it today uh, only on primary residence, not only not only any investment properties. Why don't they do them on investment properties? Just um, risk. Um, that's not to say that that's not to say that some that some investors may not be out there. You know, I can't speak for mm-hmm. everybody uh, out there today at Homebridge. We only do them only on primary residence. Okay. So if I had an investment property with, say, fair market value, $600,000, $400,000 in equity, so I owe two hundred dollars to Wells Fargo, if I came to you, could I do a cash out refi on that deal and maybe pull two fifty? dollars Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we do cash out refis on, uh, on investment property all the time. We just don't do the, um, the HELOCs today on those. So that's something then for the investor that can't get the HELOC and has a lot of equity in their rentals to keep expanding their portfolio. Best thing to do then would look at going that route to do cash out refis. Yep, yeah, yeah, cash out refis, absolutely. And then you can do those on the non-QM side, the agency side, you know, but either whichever way the program best fits, you know, their needs and their situation. Are you finding most of your... Uh, Investor cl- or clients, investor clients that are coming to you, are they mainly going non-QM now? Or are they still yes. on the agency? Yes. Price? Yeah. Most of them are going, uh, most of them are going non-QM, you know, just because it's easier, you know, with their cash flows, you know, just the guidelines and so forth. So they're paying a little bit higher for it, but uh, it's just an easier, easier process. And what, what is the typical closing time, underwriting time for a non-QM versus an agency? Is, is it shorter? Yeah, uh, well, no, they're both, they're both the timeframes, you know, but, you know, in 2020, 2021, it's probably a little bit longer, you know, than it is now, you know, with volumes down as a, as an industry, but, you know, they're, you know, 48, 72 hour tops, uh, underwriting turn times. With rising interest rates, where do you see everything going for the investor in the next year or so? (laughs) Yeah, that is a loaded question, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Interest rates are, are what they are, right? I mean, interest rates not our biggest challenge today. Uh, biggest challenge today is lack of inventory. And uh, now rising rates, don't get me wrong, there's a big difference between two and three quarters and you know five and three quarters. But we've all seen this roller coaster of interest rates. Uh, lack of inventory is a big impediment to, to the environment today. Yeah, you see, I, I was talking to an investor this morning and he he asked me the question. He goes, well, what do you think is going to happen with the uh, market right now with, with home prices, with rising interest rates? Are the prices going to, you know, of course, possibly fall? Um, is it going to be something like we saw back in 2008? 
And I had my views on it, but I'm curious what your views are. Personally, obviously, no clip. We're fighting inflation, right? We're plotting, mm -hmm. you know, fighting eight and a half in inflation, you know, depending on what the Fed wants to do. But my personal opinion is that we're going to see some stabilization in the short near future, and then we will not have a relive of 2007, 8, 9 during those times. And they, uh, I don't think we're going to see, you know, I don't think we're going to see the values fall, you know, again, I'm not saying, well, our firm belief is that they will, they, they will plateau here. And, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to continue seeing people paying a couple hundred thousand dollars over asking price on a lot of, um, a lot of this stuff. But uh, we, we think rates will find a spot to settle in here and that uh, and they'll get everything under control. So, but uh, do not see a 2008 on the horizon in our, uh, in our viewpoint. I don't know how you, you know, what your thoughts are, but that's, uh, that, that's Rick Floyd's opinion. Yeah, I agree. That's different, different metrics now than it was back then with the way they yes. were going to write loans. And, 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 and lending, you know, the problem is back then lending, if you had a pulse, we gave you a loan. Yep. We still, we're, we're trying to make it a little easier, but, uh, but it, you still have some hurdles to go through, unlike, you know, in, uh, with the Alte type business. You know, there's one question I forgot to ask you on that non-QM side that I'm curious about, and that has to do with property transfer. So let's assume that we closed in a Texas LLC and you're holding the first position on that. If I decide I wanted to move it to a separate LLC, have you ever seen a lender? I mean, would you guys call that no due or does that even matter at that point in time since you're secured against the property? That doesn't. It, 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 it doesn't. It wouldn't matter. So, you know, as long as the payments continue to keep being made and so forth. I mean, keep uh, the property insured, pay the taxes and. Yes, pay absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Check all the boxes. And then yeah. uh, we, we would not care about, uh, you know, if you transfer that to your LLCs and so forth. Not, not an Perfect. issue on our front. Well, Rick, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put the contact information for Homebridge Financial in the show notes. So if anybody wants to reach out to you all to talk about a non-QM product um, for their investing, uh, hopefully it'll drive up some business for you and allow some investors to get into some properties. Absolutely. And I uh, applaud you for the services that you offer to your clients. And they, uh, we greatly appreciate the time and any questions along the way, don't ever hesitate to, uh, to reach out. So we appreciate the partnership. Thanks, Rick. All right. Thanks, Clint. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.